Hello, my name is Ed, and welcome to the POV Podcast. Sometimes we'll talk about films, sometimes about music, and occasionally have a guest on. But rest assured, it will always be interesting. Our first episode just so happens to be a guest episode with singer-songwriter Frank Turner. And in this, we talk about his new album No Man's Land, History, and Chaz and Dave. Hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, my name is Ed, and welcome to the first show of the podcast. We've got a very special guest with us today, travelled the world, played in pubs and stadiums. At the time of recording, he's played nearly 2,500 shows. Let's welcome Frank Turner to the podcast. Hello. Hey. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. How's my, the, my pleasure. How's, the, how's the tour gone so far? Uh, good. I mean, we're, 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 we're three shows into the UK leg, um, but we just did six weeks of this in the States. Um, so depending on how you cut it, we're either at the beginning or at the end. Um, but it's good. It's fun. I, you know, um, this has been a long year. Uh, I have to say, and it's November as we're chatting now, end of November, and I'm quite looking forward to wrapping up. Yeah, I bet. Um, in addition to touring, you've released a book, uh, a second book. Mm. Uh, got married, so congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Yes, yeah, uh, that was a big, a big part of my year as well. Yeah. Must not forget about that. Uh, it's well known that your touring schedule is usually jam-packed, so yeah. how have you managed to balance the book tour, uh, musical tour, and getting uh, married all in one? Well, one of the things is, like, in the last... Um, I want to say like three or four years we have eased off a little bit in terms of my tour schedule I mean first of all um, that we're still touring quite hard by most people's standards but it's just I mean we used to do 300 shows a year and we're doing more like 150 now and partly that's because we're all getting older and you're invincible and you're in your 20s and you're certainly not in your 30s yeah. uh, and indeed beyond because quite a few of the band are in their 40s now and like and also, you know, I'm, I'm married, we've got people, we've got kids, we've got, um, you know, reasons to go home, which we never used yeah, to absolutely. have. So um, so it has sort of eased off a bit, um, uh, and which gives me more time to do other things. I am, I'm an incessant kind of diary filler. Do you know what I mean? If I've got like a few days off, I just start jamming stuff into it. Yeah, I'm quite like myself. I hate just having a day off and not doing anything. Yeah, so I it's mean... It's nice just to have some It's all right having one day off, I find, but like two, I start kind of like itching a little <laughs> bit and wondering what I could be doing with my time to be more constructive. Uh, so I attended your lead show at the start of this year, oh, yeah. uh, had a great time. Uh, you seem to have built up a reputation over the years, blending folk, music, punk, rock and pop. So this time you're doing this unplugged tour, so what's yeah. inspired you to do this change up for the tour? Um, there's a couple of things, I mean the two the two things, there's the new record No Man's Land and I played with a different band in the studio for this record, played with an all female band which was awesome, all the players on the record were great but they have their own thing going on and I can't afford to do a tour with two bands at the same time so I was thinking about how best to approach touring that record so I come up with this idea I'm doing a first set which is just me solo playing songs from the new record and then for the second show, um, it's a thing I've been thinking about doing for, for a long time, um, the live show that we've been doing for the last decade, if the music I make kind of ranges between folk and punk, which is a very, very short way of describing it, but if, if that was true, we've definitely been leaning on the punk end of the spectrum for the live show for a long time. And that's cool, and I really enjoy it, and we will do that more in the future. But it just, it just feels that it felt a little bit kind of monochromatic after a while, and you know, we are capable of playing other types of music, or taking a different approach to a show, operating in a different gear, however you want to put it. And um, you know, we were thinking about doing this kind of unplugged, stripped-back storytelling set, and um, uh, yeah, and it just sort of felt like it was the time to do that. I mean, there was a day I sat down to like write another kind of regular full-band punk rock set, and just slightly went ugh. Um, and uh, you know, so and given that I'm doing something different with the new album, anyway, it was like, well, let's package these together, um, and it's really fun. It's really, really radically different um, from anything we've done live before. Um, it is not what we're now doing forever. 
Um, <laughs> in fact, we have six shows of it left, and then it, we're going to be heading hardcore back into the punk world. But um, it's it's really fun, and um, we're documenting the shows because a lot of people have walked away saying that they'd like to sort of have some document of it. So uh, so yeah, we're recording the shows. Would it be safe to like thinking about like, the unplug was like Nirvana unplugged with MTV yeah. influence with it? That's we, the, it was, we were searching around for the right word to describe quite what it is we're trying to do, and we used the word unplugged because of the Nirvana MTV thing, which is sort of the right vibe. I mean, I slightly wish I'd used the word storyteller more prominently because I am also yeah. it's quite autobiographical the set, and I'm like telling stories about the songs before we play them and explaining where they came from and stuff. Yeah, much like that. Uh, Bruce Springsteen Netflix show yeah yeah and, and also in fact more yes and even more so the Loudon Wainwright one that's on Netflix oh, right. if you haven't seen it I would highly recommend um, yeah so it's that it's in that sort of territory ah, excellent so uh, talk about a bit your, a bit about your new album No Man's Land mm. yeah. uh, so the concept of it revolves around historical women and their stories yeah and it's really cool to listen to Thank you. I loved studying history when I was at school yeah it's something I kind of wished I'd uh, gone on to do rather yeah, than yeah, going yeah, into sure. film but uh, in keeping with the tone of the album the team you worked with to bring the album to life was primarily women yeah so what was that like and did uh, what kind of input and uh, perspective did they bring to the project um it was great i mean the, the whole thing about the record i didn't sat down sit down to write a kind of f feminist history record initially um i wanted to just uh, I, i've always written autobiographically and I thought it would be interesting creatively to write from other people's point of view for a bit and also you know there's a rich tradition of history songs in folk yeah. music and I wanted to try my hand at that not least because I love history so much um, so I started writing history songs and I just wanted to tell cool stories engaging stories interesting stories important stories and most of all undertold stories and I, once I got about five or six songs into the record I looked at it and realised that every song so far was about a woman and that seemed interesting to me yeah. and worth pursuing so at that point it picked this thing up the next part of the story was that then thinking about how and where to record this the optics of two men sitting in a windowless room recording an album about women felt wrong to me yeah. um, you know I mean there's politics enough as far as some people are concerned about the fact that I've made this record as a man anyway um, and I, so I kind of started toying but it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about in quite the right way because it's important to I me mean, to say that Catherine Marx's contribution to the record isn't her gender, it's her skill. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And she, was, she is a genius and she really brought a lot of different sonic textures to the record. Most importantly, I think, she, um, the vocal performances on this record I'm very proud of. And she, I think she brought something out of the way that I was singing in the studio that I haven't done on previous records. Because every time we were doing a vocal take, I did the, all the vocals sitting down, which I've never done before. And she sort of said every time we'd do a take and she'd be like, she'd like, honestly, she'd like stop someone and be like, bored. And she'd be like, you're not telling me a story. Do you know what I mean? You need to tell me a story. I need to feel like you're engaging me with what you're doing here. So, um, you know, she really pulled that out. And then, you know, again, the, um, I mean, I had an idea about playing with different people on the record with no disrespect to Sleeping Souls, but if you play with the band for as long as we have, on the one hand, it makes it very tight. On the other hand, you certainly, you end up in certain musical cul-de-sacs. And, um... I was interested in the idea of playing with other people. Once the sort of feminist angle was on the record, it was like, well, you know, maybe I could play with an all-female band. Half of whom were old friends, um, and uh, the other half were people I sort of were friends of friends essentially. But it, it came together really well. Excellent. So, on this album, you've adopted a more band-orientated uh, sound, like you have over the last few years mm. with some some of your other releases. And uh, on this one, uh, me and my brother, we both felt that. Uh, the sound on it was a more like mature version of what we, you got on uh, Sleepers for the Week and Love Iron Song. So was there a concerted effort to go back to your roots for this album or did it just work out? Um, I'm not sure it? that I'd necessarily thought of it. I mean, first of all, thank you. Um, 
I kind of realised about halfway through the making of it that the process was very similar to how we made Love Iron Song, yeah. particularly, but also Sleepers for the Week, in the sense that with both those records, you know, Nice came in and played the drums, um, and then you know, uh, and, and in fact played the piano on those records too, and then. I basically played everything else if I could, but you know we got a string section in when we needed a string section, and and it was it was mainly on Love Iron Song. It was mainly me and Ben who plays guitar in my band now, kind of the two of us as a as a kind of hydra, as it were, <laughs> running the show, and then different players coming in as required. But it very much it was a sort of conversation between the two of us, and it felt the same with Catherine as well. And to the extent that it felt kind of nostalgic, almost I want to say, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. It, was, it felt like going back to that. Yeah, because like quite a few times, like we were listening to it and we play a game like, oh, which one would this one fit? And like mm. we were talking like Ginny Bingham without definitely would go on Sleepers for the Week. Yeah. And then you got your more like anthemic stuff like The Lioness, which yeah, that's was, a later period. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we were saying like more like <laughs> positive it's my, songs it's my favorite. Yeah. and uh, be you. more kind. But we, yeah, we yeah, yeah. It. So I mean, it, and it was fun as well because like there's definitely kind of there's some bits of musicality on it which are. I mean, I try and do this with every record I do is to push the, my own boundaries a bit with the understanding that my boundaries are not especially radical yeah. in the world of music. But nevertheless, like for example, on Ginny Bingham, there's a surf guitar part which I wrote and played, which was a serious challenge for me yeah. musically. There's a guitar solo on Dora Hand. Nika is a jazz song, which is something I've never tried to do before and which I found very challenging. Um, and indeed, we got a West End jazz section, horn section in to play oh, on that song, which was like nothing I've ever seen before. They completely improvised their part, and me and Catherine sat in the control room going. A bit of scatting on your part. Yeah, 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 a bit of scatting as well. Well, the scatting thing was originally that was me singing what I wanted the melody of the trumpet solo right. to be, and the trumpet player came in, went, I could play that. <laughs> or I could play something much better. And we were like, well, like what? And then she just like blasted out like four incredible solos in a row. And we were just like, okay, they'll do. But then when it came to the mixing process, I was I was expecting Catherine to then just cut out my vocal yeah. under that section. And Catherine was like, nope, that's staying in. Uh, and I was like, we really? Is that a thing? And uh, she was like, yeah, I think it's part of the song. So. Um, so we went with it, um, but yeah, you know, it was it was kind of fun to do all of that kind of stuff and to to push it out. Even stuff like the song "Hymn of Cassiani," the music is a Byzantine hymn written by Cassiani um, fourteen hundred years ago. Uh, it's an a cappella piece in the original. So I took the top line melody and which is very odd to my ears because it's a Greek Orthodox melody, which is not a musical world I know very yeah. much about, and tried to find chords underneath it that made sense to my ears. So it's kind of a co-write. So like, if you like kind of a fusion of Western music into that. Yeah, kind of, you know, or yeah. just at least sort of crowbarring her into my world kind of thing, or That's something like that. And the lyrics as well, I mean, the, the, if you read the original lyrics to him and Cassiano, yeah. they're structurally similar, but I've kind of flipped them around a little. That's, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, so, as evidenced by the album, you're clearly well-read, and your music taste is really diverse, but we're curious, like, do you have, like, any favourite films? Like, what what's your film taste? Favourite films? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, that's a great question. I, I'm a big fan of like um, uh, Wes Anderson and P.T. Anderson and that kind of territory. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of the kind of 70s kind of noirist classics, you know, Pop Ups Now, Tax Driver, all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like French Connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, um, I can't remember his name. The, the I Heart Huckabees, the team that did that film, I think is amazing. 
Um, I do. Ha I have a minimal taste in horror as well. I'm not sure that really. Yeah, I've slowly started music. getting into horror, but that's yeah. a uh, well, for another day. The thing with the thing with horror for me is I went through a period of time of being deciding that I was bang into horror, and I watched all the classics yeah. and everything. And then I just watched a handful of films that I could have lived a long life without seeing, which yeah. really upset me. Right. Um, in particular, Man Bites Dog. Oh, I actually really like that film. I, the I end studied of that it film really upset me. Actually. That's the one where they follow a murderer around yeah. as a documentary. I, I, I loved it until I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and then I really didn't. And stuff like I watched Irreversible, and it was like I oh, can't, that's I, a horrible film. But it, do you know what I mean? I could have. I didn't need to see it, that. It had an irreversible effect. <laughs> Way very good. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and so I mean, like, but then having said all that, um, the guys who did. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? There's, they've just done Midsummer. And they did the one before that. Oh, Hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah, that was bang up my street. There are two films I'm yet to. Oh, right. Her 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 Hereditary is just brutal beyond comprehension. Something to be said for horror films that rely less on sort of jump scares and more kind of this kind of creeping dread that comes yeah, through. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's well, yeah. they've got pagan horror as well. There's that kind of vibe as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a taste in all that kind of stuff too. And then. Um, Continuing, I mean, more, more kind of in keeping with my day job. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm an obsessive student of the Last Waltz, and Fugazi's Instrument, and films like that are really big for me. Ah, amazing. But um, so, if you were looking at No Man's Land and you could pick one song about the subject to be made into a film, what would you pick? <laughs> we've been talking about this That's all week. Good question. Well, on some levels, I mean, I think that they're all, they are, they are more kind of. Narrative than what I usually do yeah. in the sense that they are all stories about other people. So, one could argue that there's scope for quite a few of them. I feel like the Matahari's life is remarkable. Yeah. There have been films made about her in the past, and they've all been ludicrous um, and silly. And she sort of became the original femme fatale um, in a way that's kind of not really fair. Yeah. Um, and what with the reason? Because the thing about her in the terms of the record is she's miles away the most famous person on the record that I wrote about. Yeah. And on that level, I was slightly cautious to whether or not I should actually do that because part of the directive for me was to tell stories that people didn't know. But then the thing was, I started reading about Matara and realised I didn't actually know anything about her, and indeed nobody did. And even in her own lifetime, by design, because the whole point about her is that she was kind of she used different names and different sort of personas to protect herself in an extremely hostile world, which worked, again, it worked until it didn't, do you know what I mean? And then yeah, yeah. that was one of my favourite ones, and I remember listening to that one just at the gym, I had to get back, when I got home I was like, just had to have a sit down after listening to it, because it was really oh, heartbreaking. Thank you, yeah, it, it is, I mean, is the, the historian that we had on when I was discussing that film sort of put it really well, everybody thinks of Martha Hire as this, you know, alluring femme fatale in the salons of Paris, which she was, very few people think of her as being a mother of two, school teacher in her forties, which she also was. And it's kind of like, oh shit, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, it's a very different uh, thing. And, and she was a very multifaceted person and has this like, like unimpeachably tragic death that is just heartbreaking to think about. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Oh, glad you enjoyed it, thank you. Uh, so over the last few years, we've had quite a few biopics about musicians. So yes. it was the Bohemian Rhapsody about Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And then Elton John this year with Rocket Man. Yeah. So would you ever want one of your life made? <laughs> and like, I, where would it start? Where would it end? And uh, would you put your name of a, <laughs> name one of your songs as a title? Fucking hell! I mean, I have to say, I was n the problem I have with those kind of films. And the thing is, like, they're fun. 
it's this is personal taste. It's not trying to rip them down conceptually. Not least because I think that I think the Elton John movie is very Elton John. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So fair enough. But like personally, I'm into. I'm I'm much more of a fan of like documentary. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to music history and like. I'm an enormous Queen fan. I've got a Freddie Mercury tattoo yeah. right here, and I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, and I was like, "This just isn't true." Yeah, because you know uh, I mean? we went to I see was it. Fact checking it with him the entire time. Yeah, it's just it. he, he was sick of me by then. And, and the thing is, you know, the defense of that, which I think is a valid one, is just I think Freddie would have been into it. And like, there's the famous story that Brian May tells, which I think is the answer to all of Queen's modern critics, where he says the last thing Freddie Mercury said to Brian May was, "Never make me boring." And and it's kind of like yeah, kind of job done, you know, and yeah. and and like and and I do think that there's a lot of people again, you know, somebody I saw an interview with Brian May and somebody said someone, oh, well, what do you say to people who are you say that you're ruining Queen's legacy? And he said, it's my fucking legacy. I'll do what I want with it. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that's kind of fair enough. And a bunch of people who weren't even fucking born when Queen were a band having a go at Brian May about his choices about what he does with his own catalogue is completely illegitimate to my mind. That's yeah. Perfectly fair, fair assumption. Enough. Yeah, you know, but having said all that, I mean, in my own taste is I'd rather watch a documentary about Queen than watch. Yeah, because a friend of mine asked me, was, oh, what did you think of it? And I just told her just to watch uh, Days, of, Days our lives. of Our Lives. That's a cracking documentary. Right, exactly, exactly, yes. You know, and I, I put that, but that's taste, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I, know, I have a lot of friends who love the Elton John one, but I sort of felt kind of the same about it. It was a bit kind of like, this isn't, it's a, it's, a, it's a hugely stylized, fictitious yeah. version of his life. In terms, so for myself, I'm not sure that I'm one for that. I mean, I, I'm attracted. I do like stuff like Don't Look Back in Anger. Uh, don't, sorry, don't, don't, I mean, uh, don't Look Back. Sorry, Don't Look Back. The Bob Dylan film, not Look in Anger. <laughs> the one with about five different people playing like different periods. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the tour documentary from the mid '60s, from the first time he reached the UK, oh, and right. it's got the Subterranean Homesick Blues video in it, and all the rest of it. And I find that that's a really interesting document to me, and I feel like there's that school of music film, like, I don't know if you've seen Instrument by, about Fugazi, no. and it's kind of like, it's sort of a documentary, but it's not like a documentary that kind of goes in 1986, Fugazi fought yeah. in Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's more just like kind of weirdly artistically arranged archival footage in such a way that it has an artistic angle on it, but it's not like actors playing the roles, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and that I'm really attracted to. Um, don't Look Back's a really fascinating film to me because the elephant in the room about Bob Dylan that nobody wants to talk about and they fucking should do is that the Dylan's career can, certainly the first half of Dylan's career, can be passed by what drugs he was taking. And there seems <laughs> to be this weird code of omerta among Dylan fans that they won't talk about Dylan and drugs. But you get, you see Dylan arrive in between like Times Era Changing and Highway 61, that motherfucker discovered speed and it is obvious. <laughs> it is obvious in the way he behaved, the way he moves on film, the way he writes lyrics. I mean, Jesus Christ, look at the lyrics to like um, Times Era Changing and the lyrics to Highway 61. This motherfucker's staying up all night. You know what I mean? This is a dude who is no longer sleeping. And and it's just nobody seems to want to talk about it and it kind of bothers me because it, 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 it doesn't that's not a criticism as art I'm a huge Dylan fan but yeah like, me too you know this is a person who has stopped smoking weed and started taking speed <laughs> and, and it has affected his art no, anyway, sorry that's one of my theories you gotta do life. what you gotta do yeah exactly but uh, no the, all of us are really interested but my criticism of biopics is I was I don't really like it when people are still alive to do with those people because they can mm. sort of like Elton John had a bit of an issue with micromanaging everything about Rocket Yeah, I, I listened yeah. to an interview with him on the um, Disgraceland podcast, um, 
which was really interesting. I mean, yeah, he, he was definitely involved. I know what you mean. I mean, there's a, there's a level on which, like, I mean, I've written two books, but ne- and they're both kind of memoir, I suppose, but I've ha- really shied away from using the word autobiography simply because I, th- I hate it when people write autobiographies when they're not, like, you. I think you've either got to be in your 70s or have won an international war yeah. to, 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 like, write an autobiography, do you know what I mean? Or, you know, it's still time. I, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, okay, I'm not planning on joining the army anytime soon, but, like, but even, like, you know, my favourite bio- autobiography is Ben Franklin's and what I love about it is it's not finished because he was too busy that's how I write a fucking autobiography it, it literally ends in his 50s and he's like I will get to the rest of this later and he never did wow. and it's like that's the sign of a life well lived in my opinion too busy to sit down and write about it yeah well he started and then just went I've got too much shit going <laughs> like, that's excellent yeah that's the way to be but uh, over the last you've did uh, the documentary Get Better in yeah. 2016 yeah, so yeah. would you ever consider doing like any more documentaries about mm. your touring or yeah, very much so. Gebo was an interesting one to me. Like, um, it was my friend Ben's project, and it was very much a labour of love. And it was an interesting thing because it started out being a film about one thing when we started filming and became a film about something mm. else. Um, uh, it's very difficult for me to make any kind of judgment about that film because it's obviously way too personal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like the first time I saw the finished edit, because Ben Ben sort of said to me, "You can have." power of edit on it and I said to him I'm rejecting that because I don't see the because for the exactly what we're talking about Elton John it's just it's like I think it'll make for a boring film if I get in there and start directing it it yeah. needs to be your piece yeah. of art but um, you know the first time I watched this kind of finished cut was in the cinema at the premiere sitting next to my mother which was extremely um, comfortable because there's lots of reference to drugs and casual sex in there which was like oh good well, that's, um, that's what we found kind of interesting about it was in that it's kind of what we said about that Days of Our Lives documentary, one of the things I liked about that was it was very kind of no holds barred, and I really kind of got that vibe yeah. from the Get Better documentary. Yeah, it definitely. It wasn't sanitised. No, it wasn't. I mean, at the same time, I mean, there, there could have, there wasn't any footage, and part of me, on a personal level, I'm very glad about this, of me at my absolute worst when my substance abuse issues were seriously out of control. Having said that, like, um, it might have made for a slightly more visceral film if there was footage of that, but like, I mean, that's it's a dark yeah. life, <laughs> should we say? Anyway, um, so when you were doing the podcast for to promote uh, mm. No Man's Land, when you were speaking to Huda Shwari's uh, granddaughter, granddaughter, that must have been like amazing. To yeah, it was. To. My only reservation about that is that's the first episode that I did, and wow. um, I wish in a way o- over the process of making thirteen episodes, I feel like I got quite a lot better. At yeah chairing them I don't know what the word is but like you know I sort of I went into it thinking that oh I've been on those podcasts it's can't be that hard and then actually being and doing what you're doing right now it is is a different skill and uh, and that episode is cool because Sonia is such an engaging guest but like I listen back to it now and I can see all these questions I should have asked yeah, just flying happens, past. Doesn't it? I'm sure I'll finish like, this and be like, should have done that one? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And it's it's like anything else, it's a learning process, And, and but you can't kind of redo it, do you know? Yeah, I mean? another thing I found really cool was when you went to the graveyard in London and you yeah. went to, uh, you performed a song and you performed Ginny Bingham at the, is it the Underworld? Yeah, the Underworld, the, yeah, and, the and Dora Hand in, in yeah. the Boot Hill Museum. What was that like to be able to perform at those places? It's Amazing. Um, I mean, particularly, um, I would say that Playing the song about Dora Hand in a in a saloon where she might have performed was kind of a, a wonderful thing, and playing the graveyard song, the graveyard, which I actually did again two nights ago because they had the vigil there on oh, the twenty third wow. of every month. And John Constable, the guy on the podcast who is an incredible human, um, invited me down. So um, 
and that yeah there's a there's definitely you know I'm, I tend to be quite a sort of rationalist non-spiritual kind of atheist human but there's a there's a vibe yeah, to but, doing that which is quite special but, uh, another one we were saying would be a good one was the Dora Hand one yeah because everyone, everyone seems to look at western. western yeah <laughs> like it's like mm. a, a genre that seems to be coming back but mm. Like yeah, well, actually, one of the things one of the things that's been really cool about this whole project is that I've been learning more, even not even when doing the podcast after writing songs, but after the podcast been out. So, for example, one of the things that I confidently said in public was that no one had ever really written about Dora Han before. Turns out that's bollocks. Um, <laughs> somebody wrote a novella about her about ten years ago, um, which I now have a copy of, and it's fantastic. Um, uh, and it, it doesn't like add, change anything for the song or anything like that. But it was so cool to discover that that was actually a thing which no one had, I, I hadn't been able to find. Yeah, I mean that story was almost like farcical, wasn't it? Like the well, guy went to go and uh, he didn't to, know he killed it, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing the thing with that the first book. So I, I mean, the Wild West is a the American West, the frontier, however you want to put it, is a period of history that I'm fascinated by on lots of different levels. Not least because I think it's politically fascinating. It's a society of people and caught in the act of self creation in a period of history where there is modern documentation. And I think that's fascinating and I think that's why Deadwood is so good and all the rest of it um, but like uh, um, the first time I came across her story was in a book by Dee Brown who is an uh, American uh, uh, Native American American Indian I'm not quite sure what the right term is but he, he's, a, he's a Native American historian right. he, his first book was called Bury My Heart Wounded Knee which is the classic history of the Indian Wars which came out in the late 70s but he wrote a book called The West about the West more broadly and it covers the whole story of Dora Hand in one completely insane paragraph and oh, I was wow. reading the book and I read the paragraph and just stopped and was like hold the fucking <laughs> like and this was before the gendered angle on the album was in I just read the story and thought that's a fucking song how is that not a song and wrote it down and it wasn't because I was looking for women it was just like a cool story um, and then I went and found whatever other books I could to find out more about her but I mean I, I have yet to find a history book that has more than about 10 pages about it yeah it's just this album to me is, I'm always trying to come up with an idea for films because it's what mm. I would love to do and then it was just like a gold mine of mm -hmm. things I could potentially look into making films yeah yeah well please feel free I mean, yeah, me like and a friend were currently writing a sitcom about a cinema and my mate was like oh we need to come up with like our own films to have in the background for advertising oh yeah so yeah. I was like there is literally a huge gold cool, mine do it, man. of like films we could like awesome. fake advertise yeah, 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 yeah. I'd watch a film about Ginny Bingham yeah. I'd watch a film about like all of them like, yeah yeah, yeah totally I'd do man that's pretty, that's pretty cool we've already like, kind of got a silent key film coming already yeah there's a film about the challenger out next oh, really? year I think oh, which there's, um, that makes me think of do you know the thing about um, the film Slackers that came out in like 1990 91 I've heard of it um, I've never seen it it's a film that's set in Seattle in the early 90s and it is uh, it has I think I might say Mother Love Bone which is the band that split up and became Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden and it uh, did some of the music for it but there's a scene in the film uh, where there's a band a sort of fictitious band in the movie and somebody flashes a copy of their demo cassette and for the scene they just came up with a bunch of random song titles every single one of which has been made into a song by either Soundgarden, Stone Pilots or Pearl Jam since then. For example, one of the song titles on there is Spoon Man. Somebody <laughs> just wrote Spoon Man on it and Soundgarden made, wrote the song Spoon Man four years later. And yeah. it was so cool that they did, did that. Do you know what I mean? It's such an awesome bit of like music trivia that all of those song titles went on to become actual songs but they, none of them were when the film was made. Oh, amazing. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> I'm such a music nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely fine. I mean, Who'd have thunk it? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in the future, would we 
Are we to expect another historically slanted record, or similar to No Man's Land? Or are you done with concept albums um, for a no, while? I wouldn't say I'm done. I mean, it's not. I'm not. I'm not about to make No Man's Land two as my next thing that I do. Um, I really enjoyed the podcasting side of things and just sort of being engaged in history in a public fashion. Um, and I would like to do that again. Um, I can't really continue the podcast because it was so linked to the album. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Unless I write more songs. Um, there's various sort of irons in the fire. Um, one idea that I do have floating around is that I'm obsessed with the history of uh, English musical, which is an art form that has been largely forgotten, which is bizarre because it was the biggest thing in British popular culture throughout the 19th century and the early 20th century. And like, if you think about musical songs, um, there are two musical songs that anybody might even know, which is Mild Man's Dust Man and Doing the Lambeth Walk. And beyond yeah. that, nobody really knows any of the songs, but they all the sheet music for all of them exists. So I was thinking about the merits of recording a musical album um, and oh, right. doing wow. it as a tribute to Chaz Hodges um, from Chaz and Dave. Who yeah, he died last year. He did, and I, I, I had the great fortune of playing with them once on stage. That was um, No, it wasn't actually. It was at um, the Peaceful Noise concert, the tribute right. to Nick Alexander, because wow. they were Nick's favourite band. Um, oh, so wow. Zoe, his sister, who had organised it, got them down, and I was a friend of Nick's. So we ended up on stage together, and that was a huge thing. I've got Chaz and Dave tattoo right here. Um, and, uh, you know, and he, one of the reasons Chaz and Dave was so important to me is that they represent a continue, a pretty much singular continuation of musical traditions into the late 20th century. Um, and musicals are just an interesting thing because there's very few people who know about it, but people who do tend yeah. to be obsessives. I, I was staggered to discover that somebody who is obsessed with it as I am but knows more about it than me is Carl Barrett. Um, of the Libertines. Of the Libertines, yeah, yeah who, who was a friend. And Carl, Carl and I got chatting about musical one evening many years ago and I was thinking well I'm going to tell you a thing or two and then that motherfucker just like absolutely steamrolled me with his knowledge <laughs> of the genre so but I think that would be cool and you could then do a podcast about musical to go yeah. with it which would be yeah. interesting does that have its bones in Balthazar Impresario mm. that song because I read your yeah. I've read your songwriting book earlier this year yes. I remember um, you speak quite extensively yeah about I mean that, that, that's, that song is definitely to do with that yeah. um, uh in a way, I'm. I love that song. Um, uh, I'm a little annoyed that I fictionalised it as much as I did. In retrospect, because there, the Balthazar is a composite character. Um, he is a combination of a number of different musical impresarios, kind of jammed into one, with a little right. bit of um, uh, Joe Grimaldi thrown in as well. And I slightly wish I'd actually been a bit more factual about it now. Right. In retrospect. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's what this podcast is for. Well, this album, which could then be a podcast. I don't know. This is an idea. Podcast I'm spitballing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? It'd be fun. Well, I think that's all we've got time for now. But uh, thank you so much for taking your time to it's do this. It's my absolute pleasure. Uh, do you have any closing remarks at all? Um, uh, come see me on tour. I'll be around next year. Yeah. Um, no Man's Land is available on CD, vinyl, streaming services. Get it in your ears. And thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Frank. Thank you. Thank you very much to Frank Turner for taking his time to be on the podcast. Uh, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Uh, share with your family and friends and uh, keep an eye out for episodes in the future.